0: This is Tempest Tossed, conversations on migration and mobility, and I'm Alex Alenikoff.
1: My view is that um, it's pretty clear that at least for some asylum seekers, not for everyone, but at least for some asylum seekers, the U.S. is no longer safe for refugees.
0: I want you to put yourself in the shoes of an asylum seeker. You're facing violence, conflict in your home country, and you've reached the difficult decision that it's time to leave. So you travel first in your home state, and then you cross an international border to a neighboring state. In the refugee field, we call this the country of first asylum. That country gives you safety, maybe some emergency provisions. Uh, Perhaps you have family there or people from your home community. But after some period of time, it could be a week, uh, a month, a year, uh, it becomes clear to you that the country of first asylum is not the place uh, to start to rebuild your life. Maybe the authorities there are not friendly to asylum claims from people from your home country or to people like you. Or, Or maybe you face better economic prospects elsewhere. Or you have family in another country who can help you get started. So you travel to another country and there you request political asylum. So the authorities of that country might say to you, well, why didn't you seek asylum in the country you first traveled through? Weren't you safe there? And your answer might be, I don't think I could have gotten a fair hearing there, or they don't permit asylum seekers or refugees to work in that country. Under international law, there's no rule that says an asylum seeker has to apply for asylum in the first country he or she arrives in. And no second country, let's call it country B, has a right to return a person to that first country, let's call it country A, unless that country B can show that you were actually granted asylum in country A or had some other formal legal status in country A that ensures that you won't be sent home where you might face persecution. So what can country B do? It can't force country A to take you back, but it can enter into an agreement with country A that says if an asylum seeker comes to one of our countries first and then travels to the other, the first country agrees to take the asylum seeker back and adjudicate the claim. Now, the EU has had this kind of deal among its member states for many years, which actually broke down after the mass flow from Syria in 2015. And it then entered into an agreement with Turkey, under which Turkey will accept back Syrians who travel from Turkey to Greece. Actually, not many Syrians have been returned under that agreement, and some of the cases are currently pending in court. What is less known is that for the past 15 years, the United States has had this kind of deal with Canada. Under the so-called Safe Third Country Agreement, the number of asylum seekers entering Canada from the United States has dropped. And in recent years, hundreds of asylum seekers who began in the United States and traveled to Canada have been returned uh, to the United States. The agreement looks increasingly problematic because U.S. asylum policies have tightened considerably under the Trump administration. The question then is, is the United States a safe third country, a country to which asylum seekers from Canada should be returned? With us today is Sean Rehag, professor at Osgoode Hall Law School in Toronto, an expert on Canadian and international refugee and immigration law. Sean, thanks so much for being with us today. Hello. Why don't we start by you telling us a bit how this uh, Safe Third Country Agreement uh, came into being. What was the purpose and the original scope of the agreement? Yeah, well, from a Canadian
1: perspective, the purpose of the uh, uh, agreement was essentially to reduce the number of asylum seekers coming to the country because previously thousands of asylum seekers would come uh, every year uh, to Canada. Uh, via the United States, and only a couple of hundred would go in the other direction. So Canada, looking at the experience in the uh, European Union, was very keen on entering into an agreement that would let uh, the, would, that would let Canada send uh, asylum seekers back to the United States. The United States, though, uh, had long uh, refused to enter into such uh, an agreement. Uh, and then uh, 9-11 happened, uh, the United States became preoccupied Uh, with uh, border uh, security uh, and Canada made an offer to um, enact various uh, common uh, border security uh, measures that the United States was seeking and in exchange asked the United States to uh, enter into the safe third country agreement. So that happened in about 2002 and the agreement came into
0: effect in 2004. And what was the effect of the agreement?
1: Well, the effect was an immediate drop in the number of asylum seekers coming to, to Canada, a, a drop by about, about a third. Um, uh, and uh, although there were still some people who were coming across the uh, Canada-U.S. Uh, uh, border, uh, because there are some exceptions built into the agreement, um, it essentially uh, dramatically reduced the number of people coming
0: in. As I understand it, the agreement only applies to people who present themselves at an official border crossing point, but not in between official border crossing points. Is that right? That's right. So it only applies at official ports uh, of
1: entry. In fact, only official land ports of entry. Uh, If people, uh, let's say, fly to the country, it doesn't apply. Um, And if people cross the border irregularly between ports of entry, um, they'll be allowed to make their refugee claim uh, in Canada.
0: So why didn't the agreement simply lead to many more people crossing illegally so they could apply for asylum and not be returned to the U.S.?
1: Yeah, well, advocates for refugees, when the agreement was first put forward, warned that the agreement would likely provide incentives for people to cross the border Um, uh, irregularly, uh, and so there was a worry from the outset uh, that uh, this uh, would uh, happen. Um, What we're seeing now, though, is because of uh, pressures uh, in the United States, and specifically because of tightening immigration and refugee policies, a larger number of asylum seekers are Trying to get to Canada um, from uh, the United States, so there's increased pressure, and because they can't come through the regular ports of entry, what's happening is large numbers, thousands. Since uh, the the, uh, the Trump administration took power, thousands have been crossing uh, irregularly. It's important to know that um, uh, that. Uh, when um, asylum seekers cross the border irregularly, they're not, uh, they're not trying to sneak into the country. They're not trying to come in uh, undetected. What, what's actually happening is they're just trying to come to places where it's convenient to cross between ports of entry, and they immediately seek uh, out uh, Canadian authorities in order to make uh, a uh, refugee claim. So one of the really fascinating parts of this whole uh, story about the Safe Third Country Agreement is that there are these sites on the Canada-US border that have become, you know, de facto unofficial uh, border crossings. They have infrastructure. There's Canadian Border Service Agency officials and RCMP officials. Uh, uh, RCMP is Royal RCMP Royal is is uh, the Canadian police. Yes. Uh, uh, So there's all this infrastructure. Uh, It looks very similar to an official port of entry, but because it's an unofficial port of entry, the Safe Third Country Agreement doesn't apply.
0: So, so why would any asylum seeker who thinks they'll get a better deal in Canada then present themselves at an official port of entry rather than at one of these unofficial ports of entry?
1: That's right. So uh, uh, relatively few asylum seekers are now coming to the, um, uh, the official ports of entry unless they benefit from one of the exceptions to the Safe Third Country Agreement. Uh, thousands are instead coming to these unofficial uh, ports uh, of uh, entry. Um, the agreement still may be having somewhat of a deterrence effect. So if you come to one of these official ports of entry, there'll be big signs up saying, don't cross here, you can't cross here, it's illegal to cross here. Um, sometimes there will be um, uh, RCMP uh, police uh, officers kind of sternly warning, don't cross, you'll and be this arrested. This is at the informal This port is at the informal ports. So uh, there may be people who would be uh, discouraged from um, crossing in those circumstances who might come to the official uh, ports of entry. But it has become widely known in uh, various, um, uh, various communities that it is now possible to cross the border at these unofficial sites.
0: And many of the people crossing from the U.S. Uh, have been Uh, Haitians who were in the United States and protected under temporary protected status, which the Trump administration has announced it is ending for Haitians. And they've now been coming to Canada to seek asylum there because they think they have a better chance. In Canada than the U.S. Is that is that right?
1: That was the, the first large group um, of asylum seekers uh, that came across unofficially were from the Haitian community. I mean, there are uh, people from virtually every country in the world that are using this means to get to Canada, but Haitians were the first very large group. More recently, there's been a, a large group of 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 Nigerian um, asylum uh, seekers. For that community, it's not about kind of a loss of a temporary status in the United States. Uh, It appears that it's mostly people who are getting visitor visas to the United States and then are going directly to the uh, Canadian border and and claiming uh, refugee
0: protection. So even if there are many people uh, coming to these so-called irregular ports of entry, still many are presenting themselves at ports of entry and they're being subject to the agreement which sends them sends them back to the U.S. Um, you have written uh, that uh, you believe that the third country agreement is unconstitutional uh, under Canadian law, and I assume that was pressed when it was first entered, entered into 15 years ago. Can you briefly talk about the legal challenges of the agreement?
1: Yeah, so Advocates for Refugees um, uh, brought a, a constitutional challenge to the agreement right when it came into uh Uh, when it came into effect. The argument was essentially that the United States has different um, uh, asylum um, policies uh, than uh, Canada, uh, that some people who might Um, obtain refugee protection in Canada would not be eligible in the United States. One group that was often pointed to was uh, women facing domestic violence who were able to get protection in Canada, but at the time, um, it was very difficult uh, to secure similar protection in the United States. Uh, And so the argument was the United States is not safe for at least some um, uh, refugees. Uh, that argument was um, was actually accepted um, uh, by the lower uh, courts. Uh, they found that the United States was not safe, and therefore that violated um, uh, the refugee claimant's uh, right to life, liberty, and security of the person, which is protected by the Canadian Charter of uh, Rights and Freedoms. Um, and so the lower court struck down um, the agreement uh, as unconstitutional. It then went up on appeal, and there was a very narrow technical. Um, uh, reason why uh, that decision was overturned and the matter has never substantively returned uh, to uh, to the courts. Um, Advocates for Refugees more recently, um, uh, seeing the very large number of people who are trying to get from the United States to Canada since um, President Trump was uh, elected, uh, they've brought a new constitutional uh, challenge, essentially making the same argument that was made before that some people who would obtain refugee protection in Canada won't be protected in the United States, pointing to other policies, you know, detention of children, separation of families, uh, the recent uh, announcement um, by Jeff Sessions that. Uh, Tightened, uh, the ability of uh, women facing domestic violence to obtain refugee protection, essentially saying even if the United States was safe previously under the Trump administration, it's not and therefore um, the agreement should be found to be unconstitutional. You add to that that there's been a change to the very narrow technical legal um, question that led the appeal courts to reject um, the uh, constitutional challenge. Um, so it's now easier to bring a constitutional challenge in this context. My view is that um, it's pretty clear that at least for some asylum seekers, not for everyone, but at least for some asylum seekers, the U.S. is no longer safe for refugees.
0: Where is that case now in the Canadian courts? Uh,
1: the case is still at very early stages, so it's in the lower courts. There's going to be a hearing, uh, I think, scheduled for uh, for January.
0: And I would think one of the arguments, the, one of the policy arguments in favor of that position would be, Uh, without the agreement, you'll have fewer people trying to enter irregularly into Canada. They'll all just come to a port of entry and apply for asylum and be put into the Canadian asylum system. Yeah.
1: So that's one of the other constitutional arguments that's being made. So one argument is the U.S. is not safe for refugees. The other argument is Uh, under Canadian constitutional law, the government's not allowed to create policies um, that uh, increase the harm that particular groups will uh, experience for exercising a right that they're entitled to. So asylum seekers have the right to request refugee protection in Canada, and Canada has created barriers preventing them from doing that in a safe, regular way, that is presenting themselves to a a port uh, of entry. Um, and although uh, most asylum seekers are coming to fairly easy to cross sites, um you know just roads. That are kind of divided in half by flower pots, uh, for example. Um, other asylum seekers are uh, crossing in more difficult sites. Uh, so, uh, there was a big uh, news story um, last year in the winter uh, about a couple of asylum seekers who crossed the border uh, in the prairies uh, during uh, the winter. Uh, there was a big storm. Um, they got lost. They had frostbite. One of them lost fingers, another one lost a hand. Um, so that the policy is encouraging irregular migration, but it's also encouraging asylum seekers to take risks and that that is problematic and potentially unconstitutional. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, I would think that the Trump administration would be in favor of your lawsuit because they must see this as primarily meaning return of large numbers of people to the United States and very few to Canada since the flow really doesn't go the other The other way given the more favorable asylum system in Canada. Has there been any uh, rumblings from the Trump administration on whether they'd like to rethink this agreement? It's interesting because the rumblings are actually coming from the other uh, direction. So, um, uh,
1: the Canadian government has been pressed uh, by the political party on the right, the the Conservative um, Party. Uh, they've been pressed to try to expand the safe third country agreement. The concern is, well, why do we have this uh, agreement to send people back to the United States if anyone can get around the agreement by you know, going 100 meters to the left of the official uh, port uh, of entry? Why don't we enter into a new agreement that would apply at the entire uh, land uh, border, so um, the conservatives are saying uh, the government should go off and renegotiate an expanded uh, agreement. There were some initial uh, efforts by the government uh, to do that, and the United States was uh, not uh, responsive uh, to uh, uh, to that,
0: which is not surprising.
1: Well, the, the government, the the U.S. government has um, little interest in. Uh, certainly, in expanding the agreement, uh, but I would also expect have very little interest in in keeping the agreement as is. The other place where this has played out is that um, the political party on the left, the New Democratic Party, has been asking uh, the Canadian government to suspend uh, or uh, withdraw from the Safe Third Country Agreement, essentially, on the grounds that the U.S. is no longer safe uh, for uh, refugees. And the response to that has been, well, hang on, Canada is in really delicate uh, negotiations around, uh, around NAFTA, the North American Free Trade Agreement, really important to the Canadian economy. We shouldn't do anything that could potentially upset the U.S. administration. The U.S. might not look, um, uh, may not be particularly pleased to have the Canadian government say you're not, you're a country that doesn't respect international law. That's not safe for refugees. So we don't want to uh, do anything that might rock the boat. The curious part of that argument is, uh, you would think that the current administration would actually be quite pleased just to get rid of the agreement and to have thousands of asylum seekers uh, uh, come to, to to Canada and 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 leave the United States. So it's it's hard to know. I mean, the U.S. the current uh, U.S. administration is such. An Unpredictable beast at the moment. It's hard to know uh, what they're thinking uh, on these questions. Um, uh, but it, but it is something from the, from uh, as an observer from Canada looking kind of down, wondering why doesn't the U.S. actually uh, take the initiative here and suspend the agreement?
0: Yeah. Um, so I, I think. Um, People in the United States would have trouble with the concept that the United States is not a safe third country for asylum seekers. There is a well-functioning asylum system uh, people can make their claims, there are several levels of judicial review. It may be that Canada has a, 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 a standard that makes it easier to get asylum, but that doesn't mean that the U.S., even if it has a slightly tighter standard, is violating international law or is not a safe place for an asylum seeker. So what are you really claiming when you say the U.S. is not a safe third country?
1: Yeah. So I think the U.S. is safe for for large groups of, of people. I mean, the U.S. is one of the most important constitutional democracies in the world. It has one of the most highly respected judiciaries uh, in the world. Um, it has been a leader uh, in various aspects of international uh, refugee uh, law, resettles until recently, you know, a leader in, in refugee resettlement. So it's understandable that people might look with some skepticism on the claim that the United States is not safe. Um, I think, though, that it's important to understand that this is actually a fairly narrow claim. The claim is not that the U.S. is is unsafe in general. The claim is merely that some people who would obtain refugee protection in Canada would not obtain similar protection in the United States. And the best example is under the changes announced by the current administration um, relating to the refugee definition and specifically... Um, people facing uh, gender-based uh, violence and people facing gang violence uh, uh, will no longer obtain refugee protection or at least it will be very uh, uh, it'll be much more difficult to obtain refugee protection. Those are two groups that would, as a matter of course, if they could substantiate their uh, their claims with the risks that they face, they would obtain refugee protection in Canada. So they're people who meet Canada's refugee definition. But who would likely not obtain protection in in the United States? So the question from Canada is if Canada can't deport those folks directly, to their uh, home country to face what Canada views as persecution in violation of the Refugee Convention, can we do it indirectly by sending people back to the United States? Then if you add to that some of the other features of um, uh, American um, immigration practices at the moment, uh, things like um, uh, detention of children, separation uh, of uh, families, uh, the argument then is not just that particular people won't obtain refugee protection but that they uh, will not uh, have access to the same kind of rights that they might have uh, in uh, Canada so the argument is is fairly uh is fairly uh narrow um uh, and it's restricted to the idea of uh of uh, not is the u.s safe for all asylum seekers but is the u.s safe for this particular asylum seeker.
0: I thought uh, some of the Haitian asylum seekers who had come to Canada, in fact, were detained or put into some kind of custodial arrangement. Is that not accurate? Uh,
1: yes. Yeah, so uh, Canada does have um, immigration um, uh, does have immigration detention. Uh, we only detain children as a measure of of last resort. There are very few children who are um, uh, who are detained. Um, the the main difference, though, is that um, Canada does not uh, detain um, asylum seekers in order to deter other asylum seekers from coming to the country, and that's exactly what the current U.S. administration announced they were doing with the zero tolerance policy. They're trying to impose penalties on. Um, asylum seekers in order to discourage further asylum seeking. From a Canadian perspective and I think from an international uh, law uh, perspective, um, Mm -hmm. that uh, really uh, shifts the nature of the detention from a kind of administrative practice into a a penalty, and as you know, the uh, Refugee Convention uh, prohibits uh, states from imposing penalties uh, on uh, asylum seekers for uh, irregular uh, arrival. So, um, so I, I, I do think that there's I do think that there's been a a difference under the the current administration. Um, even though people have always been detained, and even though or even though uh, children have been separated for for quite some time, the scope of the practice has changed, but also the purpose of the practice. This has changed
0: so let me let me take you to the southern border of the United States rather than the southern border of Canada uh, the United States has indicated an interest in entering into a third country agreement uh, with Mexico which of course would work to the advantage of the United States in the same way the agreement was seen as the Canadian agreement was seen as working to the advantage of the Canadian uh, the Canadian system um, and currently there's a, a fair degree of evidence that people arriving, at a port of entry at the southwest border, uh, are basically told uh, to wait in Mexico in order to file their asylum claim until the system can handle the numbers that are uh, coming forward. I wonder if you have thoughts on the legality or the wisdom of the policies at the southwest border of the United States.
1: Yeah, well, I do think that. Um, one of the reasons that the United States might not have al- already tried to withdraw from the Canada-U.S. Safe Third Country Agreement is that they might want to be might want to use that as a template for um, a similar agreement with uh, with Mexico, uh, and the numbers would be quite dramatic if if uh, if if uh, uh, the number of asylum seekers uh coming from Mexico to the United States, if if that flow just stopped or was largely reduced, it would have a much bigger impact than the the blockage on the the, the Canadian uh border. Um it doesn't surprise me that uh, uh, that the United States is interested in pursuing that uh, possibility. I think that's reflective of a, a broader trend um, of uh, you know developed countries around the world uh, trying to prevent the arrival of uh, asylum seekers using various deflection um, uh, practices. Essentially, trying to contain asylum seekers in the the regions that uh, in their home uh, in their home regions. Um so uh, none of this is uh, uh, is uh, is surprising. I do think it it puts the entire um, international refugee regime uh, at risk because if mexico if 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 uh, Canada does this and so, the United States does this, and then Mexico does this, and then you know you keep on deflecting people until um, until people can't even get out of their own uh, country um,
0: uh, at all. And so, well, and it argues for creating safe zones in those countries, doesn't it, where people can move with safety and not have to flee to a, another country. Yeah, if if that was
1: a politically viable, yeah. uh, if that was a politically viable uh, option. I mean, the other possibility is to is to work on that and at the same time try to dismantle these deflection practices.
0: Yeah. So let me end end with this uh, question for you, Sean. What lessons do we draw from this? Someone can uh, hear all this information and say, well, odd agreement why the United States ever enter into it, but it doesn't really matter because the refugees, the asylum seekers have found a way around it and into Canada, and they're likely to be uh, protected or better protected uh, in uh, in Canada. Uh, on the other hand, uh, with the tightening of the of the U.S. system, there does seem to be a greater disparity between Canada and the U.S., and how do we uh, create a global system of refuge? refugee protection that basically is based on the same uh, standards of who qualifies for status and the like how would you put this into a broader picture
1: yeah well i think uh, one of the uh, one of the lessons of all of this is that when countries enter into these kinds of arrangements, whether it's Canada and the United States or the European Union, when you enter into those kinds of arrangements, you effectively are integrating your refugee policies with uh, another uh, country. The the logic behind the agreements is that uh, all of the countries that are party to those agreements are, in fact, safe uh, for uh, refugees and the the challenge is that when you do that in a context where countries are sovereign, where there are you know significant shifts in um, uh, in immigration policy in uh, refugee policy, it effectively implicates uh, each other's uh, both countries or all the countries in uh, each other's uh, refugee uh, practices. So uh, Canada, uh, for example, uh, has. Uh, distinguished itself rhetorically from the United States on the refugee uh, file. At the same time as uh, President Trump was announcing um, travel bans, uh, the Prime Minister of Canada was writing these beautiful tweets uh, about uh, uh, Canada being welcoming to, uh, the, uh, to, to refugees, that Canada valuing um, religious and other forms of diversity. So there's a Uh, a a rhetorical strategy of distinguishing um, Canadian uh, immigration practices from U.S. immigration practices. But what the Safe Third Country Agreement does is uh, it implicates Canada in U.S. uh, refugee uh, practices. Uh, Because if Canada is prepared to send people who come to the border and seek refugee protection in Canada, if Canada is prepared to send them back uh, to the United States, um, uh, Canada is uh knowing full well that in the united states they may well be deported to their their home country canada's participating in that uh, form of, uh, of, of removal so to to put the matter uh, simply i think we've got a canadian prime minister who talks about being welcoming to refugees who calls himself a feminist who's done a lot of um, has gotten a lot of credit for uh, work on uh, uh, confronting uh, domestic violence Who then is prepared to continue to send women facing domestic violence back to the United States, uh, where they won't be protected and will be deported? You're you're being implicated in um, uh, in the 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 U.S. uh, uh, refugee uh, uh, policies, and so the the question is: How do you, if you want to maintain the ability to have separate immigration and refugee practices if you want to be able to stand up and say no, when I think when when we think about refugees, we don't just mean you know Soviet dissidents, we also mean uh, women facing domestic violence. we also mean um, LGBT folks who are being uh, mistreated that this reflects our identity and who, uh, who who we think is deserving of protecting, if you want to be able to say that, it's hard to enter into these agreements that tie you to the practices in another country that may change and may not reflect those values.
0: Sean, thanks so much. Uh, really interesting. And I think for us, us folks south of the border, we've learned an awful lot about the the Canadian practice and the way uh, way that interacts with what's going on in this country. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you. You have been listening to Tempest Tossed, a production of the Zolberg Institute on Migration and Mobility at the New School. Technical assistance is provided by Sahil Ansari at Dodge 112. Our themes were composed by Eli Elenikoff. We would welcome your comments and suggestions for future episodes. You can reach us at TossedTempest at gmail.com. That is TossedTempest, all one word, at gmail.com.